Hello and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. This is week 16. My name is Zach Falconer-Barfield. I am the founder of The Perfect Gentleman and alongside me is... James Marwood. Good to speak to you again, Zach. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, sir. I'm very well indeed. We're trundling through June. We are. I'm not so sure I like this. Well, summer seems to be flying over unfortunately. We always beg for summer to come and then it's here and then it goes very rapidly. I'm very jealous of those of our listeners, we've had correspondence from a few, who live in in sunnier climes Mm. and you get to have a a lengthier, nicer summer. Our our summers aren't too bad, I do enjoy them. I do enjoy them too, yes exactly and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, barbecues and um, and sitting outside a bit more this summer. Last summer I didn't do that so much. Hopefully this time you'll you'll have a chance to barbecues and outdoor cigars and enjoying the weather. I'm talking of barbecues and parties and outdoor cigars we have Rory up first, ah. and he's going to guide us through a little bit of summer party etiquette. Fantastic. Now, should we hand over straight to him? Let's do that. Greetings, and welcome once again to The Perfect Gentleman. My name is Rory Bolger, 2PG and etiquette and fine dining expert, and today I'm going to be talking to you about summer party etiquette. Summer parties can vary wildly from a barbecue at home, a cocktail reception or something much more formal, like Royal Ascot. It's important when you're attending one of these functions that you understand what it is that you're letting yourself in for, and that you prepare yourself both in terms of dress and in terms of the behaviours that you're expecting to display to fit the occasion. If you're hosting a party, make sure that you've thought about the style of party that you're throwing and how it will fit with the guests that you're inviting. Specify whether children are allowed or not, And if you're serving food, make sure that you have a widespread available for all people with different types of dietary requirements and needs. If you're attending such a party as a guest, it's your duty to inform the host of any special dietary requirements that you have. Be considerate when mentioning these as to whether it's an allergy, in which case it's something that the host might need to be aware of, or whether it's just a preference, in which case it's maybe something that you can work around. If necessary, be prepared to bring something that you've made yourself at home in order to take some of the stress and strain of organising such an event off the host's shoulders. As a guest in somebody's home, you'd almost always be expected to bring a gift. Sometimes that might be in the form of a side dish or a dessert, if that's the type of party you're attending. Or alternatively, it might be a bottle of wine or some flowers for the hostess. As previously alluded to, the British summer season contains a whole host of events, from racing at Ascot and Goodwood, to the opera at Glyndebourne, and including the Henley Royal Regatta. If you're invited as a guest to any of these events, it would be better manners, rather than to return the host a gift, to offer them a reciprocal invitation to a similar type of event, or a fancy dinner. As always... More information is available on the Perfect Gentleman website, www.theperfectgentleman.tv, through our online magazines, our videos and podcasts, and of course our books available through Amazon. Elliot Rhodes is the foremost belt brand that seeks to make people see belts in a whole new way and to show them that a great belt is imperative to dressing with style and individuality. With four stores, three in London and one in Japan, Elliot Rhodes belts are bespoke and innovative. They create beautiful luxury leather belts and buckles in a wide variety of colours and textures and styles. They suit all tastes. Check them out at elliotrhodes.com. 
So thank you for that, Rory. Fascinating and useful and informative as always. Do you have any summer parties coming up, Zach? I have a couple, actually, yes. Mm. I have a few parties and well, I've had one already. Okay. A, a reunion of the friends that I went to my prep school with. Mm. So we all were quite close and, and the families have remained close over the years. So it's 30 years of being friends. Um, and uh, I've got a few more coming up. Might even throw one in July. Oh, that would be nice. I will be uh, descending in my mother's who has a very lovely house in Kent. There's a lovely big garden, so I might throw a little garden party and I shall remember Rory's rules of etiquette. Yes, indeed. So we're moving on. Mm. Business gentleman section. Doesn't feel like we should be doing business in the summer, but hey-ho. It still goes on. It doesn't stop. Unless you're in France in August. (laughs) Yes. yes. Sorry, our French cousins, I apologise. It's jealousy more than anything else. It's true, it's true. We'd like the whole month of August off. We're talking a little bit about the gentlemanly way to climb the ladder and some business email etiquette. Mm -hmm. What, What would you like to talk about first, James? Let's start with climbing the ladder. It can lead people into being very competitive Hmm. and sometimes a little underhand, but it doesn't need to be. And in my experience, acting like that, like the sort of stereotypical TV manager or movie manager who will do people over to get ahead, does you damage in the long run. Hmm. It's part of my job. I do business consulting. That's my main gig. And part of that often I do, I do coaching with managers and executives and especially people who are new to management. And generally speaking, in fact, I would say invariably every company I've, I've worked in, the people who've got to the very top have got there by doing a very good job. There's a need to promote and to sell yourself and to build your career over time. But those guys who are at the top, especially those who, who've been successful, are people who are good at their job and look after those around them. I think there's a dichotomy in business. I think um, people assume that you have to be Gordon Gecko from Wall Street, yes. if anyone remembers that, and the Alec Baldwin in uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. Yes. And the Always Be Closing. Great film. Coffee's for Closers. Co- Coffee's it, for yeah. Closers, that's it. Yeah. First prize is you win a, you get a car. Second prize is you get a set of steak knives. Third prize is you're fired. I, I think, think that's stereotypical culture of a hard-nosed don't care about anyone it's all about the results it's still there I think it's still there in certain businesses certain business cultures have that Uh, in fact I was talking to a chap the other day and he was talking about remember name the chap or the business because (laughs) it's a it's quite a harsh story Uh, he was saying that they always focus on the numbers for the senior manager and always focus on the numbers Um, and this poor chap who's their one of their top guys broke his leg and then after he'd recovered this one broken leg, about two months later, broke his other leg. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It was unfortunate. And the senior management went, well, he's always sick, fire him. Ouch. So it does exist. I think, I think that culture does exist, but don't think that's a place that you want to be. No. I mean, I don't think it's the one that really is the way that business is generally done. Or generally should be done. Indeed. And I think part of that is that now more than ever, talent, you know, getting the right people to come and work for you is probably the hardest thing. And keeping hold of good people is critical. If you look at where businesses of any size sort of struggle and probably the hardest job we ask managers to do, those of us like I use contractors and I'm buying people to help me specific tasks or when I've worked at big firms and had to hire people, you know, getting the right people is key and then keeping hold of them is even more key after you've invested that time into and money into recruiting them, training them, getting them up to speed, building teams around them, you know, treating people badly and doing so in a way that others can see 
damages so much of that. There's a need for people to be held to account and to be asked to perform and to do a good job. And if somebody isn't doing a good job, you help them first. And if they're either not capable because you've hired them into the wrong job or they've misrepresented themselves or if there's genuine bad behaviour, then that's inexcusable. We, we won't won't stand for that. But I think for me, a lot of the negative behavior that I see in companies and a lot of the problems that people run into, it's around the fear of failure and the fear of punishment and of getting things wrong. A good manager builds and supports and inspires those around him. And that's what gets results. Ultimately, business is is about results. It's about often the bottom line is the main one. Did we make money or not? But also about perception, about how we're we're able to achieve goals. And for those people who work in businesses which are not purely bottom line focused, so the public sector or more social companies, you still have to get the right results. And the way you get that is through people. And the way you get that is by treating people well. Do that and you'll succeed and you'll grow and you'll be able to get promoted and climb your up that ladder. I think you're right. Talent is incredibly important. I always say it's who you know, how you treat people and what you know. Yes. I changed schools a couple of times Mm -hmm. when I was younger and I always had the rule of make friends with the most senior person I could Mm -hmm. at the school as quickly as possible to to basically have someone who would look after me, who'd be my mentor or as I love the phrase in the uh, the American police, they call them rabbis. Yes. Find your rabbi, find the guy who's going to look after you and and guide you through the melee of the world. Mm -hmm. The mentors are a big thing these days. And you need to find someone who will help you guide you through the world of the work that you operate in. Mm -hmm. So try and make friends with someone who can do that. Yes. They'll be able to help you. They'll be able to be your personal accountability buddy, if you like. The person mm-hmm. who will hold you to a higher standard. And then it's about how you work and interact with other people. I was listening to Tom Hanks the other day on Desert Island Discs. And he said something very interesting because he's one of those people who never a bad word is spoken about on, on any matter about his work. He said when he worked in repertory theatre right at the start of his career, he was told by his mentor then, he said, turn up on time, you know your lines, you do your job. And even if the other person at the other side is not doing their job correctly, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do yours. That's exactly right. Very few people come to begin their careers or come into a job to do a bad job. Hmm. Generally, people do a bad job because we we train them to by not spending expectations correctly or by not rewarding correctly or by punishing good behaviour. Being an actor, you know, turning up on time, knowing your lines and being ready to go is kind of a what we call a hygiene factor. You know, it's, it's either can you do that or can you not? And then everything else builds on that. I did a piece for a big multinational telecoms company with their graduates. And it was, what are the absolute basics? Turn up on time. When you say you're going to do something, do it. Or give someone good notice beforehand if you can't. Be willing and be ready to do what is needed. That's the absolute basics. If you can do that, everything else will grow from it. There was something recently on social media about the US Navy SEAL commander who said, um, always make your bed. Yes. There's always do the little things, you know. Mm -hmm. Even if you're working from home, get up, get dressed. Yep. Put some clothing on that makes you feel like you're working. Sitting around in your pyjamas will not engender that mentality of, I have to work. Absolutely. And I think when you're looking to progress your career, if you're going up within a company... Having a career strategy is always useful, I think. Oh, absolutely. If you're looking to work in the same firm and build your way up, you're not just being judged on your interview, but on all of those interactions that you've had with people over the two, three, five, ten, twenty years that you're there. 
even where there are formal review processes or formal interview processes that look to to normalize some of that out people are human you're going for a, for a promotion and the guy you're being interviewed by the guy you're judging you knows that five or six times he's asked you to do something and it's been late or of slapdash quality or, or not great he's not going to be able to disassociate you from that building a track record of not necessarily of of success but a track record of being dependable of being useful of having the ability to deliver and to execute that's really where success comes from i think going the extra mile uh, i was listening to uh <clears throat> mr Dwayne johnson one of our always regular gentlemen of the year he said the other day you know you have to do some things that your competitors are not doing and if your competitors are sitting at home with their feet up watching tv you should be doing something that they're not doing whether that's working out or reading or studying you need to go the extra mile i always remember the first thing i used to do is learn every everyone's tea or coffee yeah if i go into a situation where i'm the new kid as it were mm-hmm. learn everyone's tea and coffee quickly yes everyone thinks oh well, why do you do that and you kind of go well a i get to know them mm-hmm. and b it's a nice thing to do for people people like it that comes back to that how you make people feel thing. absolutely you've always got to do that you've got to do good work and you've got to make people feel and i think the third element to that is always be learning Always, always, always. You know, I'm not talking about formal education. Personally, I'm not a big exponent of formal education. Mm -hmm. But I think that you always should be learning. If you're in a business area, you need to be reading the articles. You need to be studying what's going on. You need to be looking at the newspapers or the business papers. Whatever sector you're in, you need to be at the top of your game in it. Absolutely. A lot of the successes I've had in in my professional life, and in my personal life, but in, in my professional life especially, come from... What seems to be serendipity, you know, happy accidents, being in the right place at the right time or knowing the right person or knowing the right thing. But actually, the more you feed into your into your work life, into your knowledge, into your serendipity system, if you like, the more chances are that you'll have that, that happy accident. It's like that old thing about the harder I train, the luckier I get. For me, you know, the, the more I, I read about topics, the more I follow things online, the more I look into what's happening in, in the industries and the in the areas that I work, the more likely I am to have something come up in conversation and be able to say, actually, I know about that, I can help you with that, or I can take the lead on that and deliver a good result for a client or for a manager or for a colleague. And that all builds this this track record of being a good person to trust with this kind of work which then leads to promotion. Absolutely. Some of you out there know I lecture occasionally at various different institutions. Mm -hmm. And I always say, read, read books all the time. Just keep reading. Don't stop Mm -hmm. reading. And someone said to me, A, why should we read? And B, why should we read books? And I said, well, let's put it this way. Warren Buffett, who's one of the three richest men in the world, spends at least two hours a day reading. He schedules two hours a day to read around whatever he's learning about. I think that that's incredibly important. And then the books thing is because I think the internet doesn't, always give you that intellectual rigor this is true i think there's a tangibility to books which is really lovely it doesn't have to be a physical book but i find physical books especially for non-fiction much more good but i think it's a tangibility of knowledge yes you have an in-depthness of knowledge you someone has spent the time writing and researching this piece of non-fiction mm-hmm. that you should justify with thought it will hit 
things and you'll think oh I read this or I read something about this two years ago in another book and you start as you say having that serendipitous mm-hmm. brain synapses working and maybe that will start your new business idea or yep. give you the idea to go into work and say well why do we do this sure I read an awful lot of business books I tend to buy them pretty much every time I travel I'll buy a new a new business book it can be expensive so a good starter to, to with are some of the some of the journals so things like Harvard Business Review, I think they give you four or five articles free every month. And also they, they quite often have freebie articles that come up on their, on their social media. The same for London School of Economics, the Royal Society of Arts, do podcasts and things. Those can be great jumping off points. But if you find about an idea that you want to know more about, you can't get an in-depth knowledge of it from a two or three page article or a 20 minute podcast. It's great to get the bare bones and to understand it, but to really get into the depth, you need to get a book. I buy a lot of mine because I tend to travel and I get them when I go through airports or through train stations. But I've used in the past libraries, both public libraries and and work libraries. Also, if you've got colleagues or people you work with who are in similar lines of work, sharing those is is a really good idea because then you can have that discussion about it, which also helps. Yeah, you do it with fiction, so why not do it with non-fiction? And it doesn't need to be something formal like a book club, but just a a coffee and a chat. And what did you think about that? Or I think this idea from this book could be something we could apply here. What do you think? Absolutely. Oh, dear listeners, you've got some ideas there about how to climb the ladder. I think it's about doing the basics, turning up on time and all that. Mm -hmm. I think it's making yourself indispensable and pleasant to the people around you. And then keep learning. Absolutely. And don't fall into that trap of thinking you have to stab people in the back or do people down in order to get yourself up. One one of the core skills for senior managers is the ability to develop their people. You need to build that over time. So get used to it early. Do it early. Do it often. And seek the initiative sometimes. Go out your way to take a lead on something. Absolutely. As my mum always said to me when I was a boy, shy bands get no sweets. If you want something, you have to go out and either ask for it or make it happen. Our wonderful partners, the English Cream Tea Company, deliver a fresh take on tradition. The English Cream Tea Company offers quintessentially British gifts. Choose from the freshly prepared afternoon tea hampers to be hand-delivered right to your door throughout mainland UK, or select from a range of gift vouchers. There are also postable gifts of award-winning chocolate brownies, tea, delicious shortbread, and even cheese-please tuck tins with delicious cheese scones and chutney. After all, the perfect gentleman needs to be able to send the perfect gift, whether it's to say thank you, congratulations, or season's greetings. And the English Cream Tea Company supplies that, complete with your own personalised gift message. Who do you know who would not love the gift of afternoon tea? So go to theenglishcreamtea.com for a charming touch of British indulgence. So email then. Yes. Oh, dear. It's interesting looking at the different approaches people have to email, especially business email. Where do you come to this from, Zach? I'm probably the big contrarian in this one. So I am a stickler for formality. Yes, you are. You are. And the reason for that is many years ago, when email first started, Mm -hmm. um, a lawyer friend of mine went, an email is basically electronic letter, therefore you have to treat it like a letter, and it's a legally binding document. So whatever you write in an email has to be considered... Unlike a formal letter. 
So from that moment onwards, generally my emails are formal. So they're always dear Mm -hmm. and they always have a a salutation Mm -hmm. and a a sign-off. Nine times out of ten be thought through. I don't Mm -hmm. generally drop an email that hasn't had some thought to it. It's very rare. And I tend not to reply instantaneously. If you want to get hold of me quickly, I always say text me or pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. Emails are for long-form communication in my book. Yes. So I'm a bit of a stickler. So I'm probably one end of the extreme. I've worked with guys like that. Very few people who begin their emails with Dear James, as yours always do, which is lovely. For for me, you need to think about what is the job that you're asking email to do. Exactly. For me, it's two forms, or three maybe. It's written, so it is that permanent record, as you say. Because it's not a face-to-face conversation, it's time-shifted. So it means that I can send you an email now, and you can respond to it in a time that suits you, and I can manage that response at a time that suits me which is one of the things that frustrates me with some places I've worked where someone will send you an email and then two minutes later call to say did you get that email (laughs) which please don't do that the third part of it where people use email as a way to transfer documents if you think about the kind of the time shift part first of all with an email what are the ways you have of communicating with someone you've got picking up the telephone or going to see them face to face which is immediate but interruptive. So if I call you and you're in the middle of something, I'm forcing you to disengage from that and engage with me. If it's not urgent, then that's not the right way to do it. But it is a longer form communication. So if I just need a quick, like we did before the call, so where we'll pop a message through instant messaging and just say, ready when you are. Instant messaging is, is, is a great tool for that. Yes. But again, instant messaging can be interruptive and there are times when you want to turn it off. So you have to recognize and understand that there's a need to time shift. It's not like a telephone where you're expecting the other person to be waiting with bated breath for your, the next thing you're going to say. <laughs> and then finally, you have the way that email is formulated, the way you write your email and the way that you structure it makes a huge amount of difference as to how useful it is. Because I don't know about you, Zach, but I get emails quite often from people where it's just a wall of text to tell me something. There's an action or something they require from me buried somewhere three quarters of the way down the bottom and I'm reading and reading and reading this email and it's, it's okay that's that's all very lovely but what do you need <laughs> yeah if we're looking to formulate good email that's probably the first bit of advice set out at the beginning what it is you need from people absolutely one of the things I do especially when I'm writing emails both as a kind of knowledge broadcast to say to a group of people right guys here are some things you need to know like the guys I'm working with on the project I was sending emails to them this morning to say these were the updates that happened over the weekend these are the drivers for the coming week this is all stuff you need to know so I write that all in in text and I write that as I would write a report or something else you know I think about it and, and formulate it properly but then at the top I call out in bolts, I'll put my, hello guys, hope you had a good weekend, my little introduction, and then I'll say, there are actions in this email, quick summary. So, John, in bold, here's the things you need to know, look at paragraph four. Dave, in bold, here's the stuff you need to know, look at paragraph five. Tom, Dick and Harry, the rest of it is just for your information only. To me, that's just a bit of courtesy that, that is mindful of other people's time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's incredibly good. It's about thinking about these things Correctly. I mean, one of the things that drives me to distraction is people who just treat email like text. Yes. And just send one line quick email about something that, that will then send me a text. Yes. Well, I don't want a back and forth discussion for one line emails, which I won't do, <laughs> for, for deciding, you know, where you're going to do this or that or the other. I think that's not what 
email is for. Email for me is, as you say, it's a, either a communication device between people or it's an information sharing device. Yes. You know, they, they, you've got to do one of those two things with it. If you want to do something else, which we've done for frequently, you and I will text each other and go, are you free for a call? Yep. And then we'll speak to each other. Yes. I have worked in organisations where texting and IMing isn't allowed or is frowned upon. You can kind of bodge email into that job, but it doesn't do it very well. As you say, Zach, it's thinking about what is the job you want to do, much like the idea that when you go to to the DIY store on a Saturday morning to buy a drill, you don't want a drill, you want a hole in the wall. And if there's a better and more effective way to get a hole in the wall, you'll use that. And that's the way we should be approaching all of the communications tools at our disposal. No, absolutely. It's got to the point now where actually I have it in my signature, my footer Mm -hmm. of my emails. I said, it may take me two days to respond to you. Yeah, because I, I've got to this point where people go, as you said, you know, why haven't you responded to my email? Well, I haven't read it yet because I only read my emails twice a day. Yes. Otherwise, you get no work done. Otherwise, you're just responding to email. This guy, David Allen, who I think I've talked about before, who wrote a brilliant book called Getting Things Done. One of my favourites, yeah. I credit him with, with saving my career when I was in my mid-20s and about to crash and burn. One of the things that he recommends is certainly turn off the automatic notification on your email. With modern email systems, you can set it so you only get notified for certain VIPs. I do that so that if one or other of my clients email me, it often is something I need to jump on urgently. But for most things, I don't need to know, at least not right now. And then if you can do, turn off your email while you're doing work. And if you've got an hour and a half booked out to write a report or to do some code or to edit a podcast or to practice a presentation, your email adds nothing to that. So turn it off. A lot of people I work with, especially busy managers, tend to have in their email a mishmash of things that they've kept because it has reference material and things that they've kept because it's a reminder to perform an action, things which are of no value whatsoever and things which were useful but now no longer are and just need to be kept for reference as a historical record. And they keep all of those things in their inbox and then their job is basically looking at their inbox and looking up and down and saying, what should I pick out of this list to do? And it's so inefficient and so ineffective. You know, if you're a busy person, you can't afford to be reading the same email three or four times every hour and deciding what to do with it. Do that once, make the decision, put it in a to-do list, put it in your reference file, archive it off for something later, and then get on with doing the actual job you're being paid to do. (laughs) I think maybe you and I should do a productivity podcast special. I think that would be a really good idea. I mean, I'm a fan of it. And I think personal productivity is underrated as a guide to success and high performance. Productivity is an individual thing. So your productivity system will be different to mine. Absolutely. And, and everyone's is individual. But you need a guide and a framework yes. to build on. I use a sort of a hybrid GTD system that works for me and I kind of adapted it slightly for uh, various other things but you have to if if you're a busy individual and we mostly are these days Mm -hmm. you have to schedule your time you have to think about these things maybe we'll do a not this month um, because it's summer and we don't want to think about work maybe we'll do one in September we'll do a special on uh, on productivity that would be good should we talk about some hints then then tips that people can use go for it James go on what's yours I'll start with the structure of an email so the first thing is subject line a useful subject line is is very helpful both to yourself when you're writing the email it's much like writing a topic statement when you're coming to write a, a report or a document but also and more importantly to the person you're sending it to so if i send you an email that just says question 
in the subject. I have no clue as to what that's about. It could be, would you like to have dinner with me in three weeks' time? Or it could be, can you authorise this payment that needs to go out today? I often tend to put a single word and then a colon and then the subject. So I might write, action, boom, need this report from you. Or I might write, FYI or info here. Or question, boom. And using your subject line like that, it's just courteous to the person receiving it that it gives them an indication with a quick glance what it is that that email contains. And if the email doesn't need to contain anything more beyond the subject, so if we're say, talking about IM and things not being useful, if it just needs that subject, question, are we still on for dinner at 12? Probably a text or an IM is better. If that option's not there, a useful little trick is to use the abbreviation EOM at the end. I tend to put it in angle brackets for end of message. And so long as the person you're talking to knows that and you've, you've mentioned it beforehand, that can be a really good time save. So they just need to look at the subject. I might put in there the account reports sent out on time, EOM. That's it. They don't need to get, click on the email. They don't just read it, delete it, get on with their work. Oh, definitely. I think that's a great hint. That's How about yours, Zach? What's your, what's your first hint? My first hint is respond appropriately. If you have a set style, like I do, as I do dear everyone and correctly, and greetings and the salutation and the sign-off, number one, be consistent with your email strategy. And two, respond appropriately. If you don't know someone, it's not good to call them by their Christian name. They might take offence at it, they might not know you, you don't know that, and you might not know the sex of the individual you're writing to. You might not know a lot about them. So I treat emails as letters, so I treat them with a relative formality, but I think... Nothing drives me more to distraction with a high Zach from someone I've never met before. I get that all the time from recruiters. I get people who will abbreviate my name, who don't know me, and they'll say, Hi, Jim. I'm not a Jim. I'm a James. My mum called me James, not Jim. Exactly. And, and that sort of drives me to distraction. Or, hiya. Yes. Did you not read what I do? <laughs> <That's> gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yes. What's the company called? Right, okay. Um, and also then, like a true letter, make your salutation and your sign-off correct. So if you're using dear, use a correct sign-off. If you're using a formal dear sir or madam, make it formal. But stick to it all the time. Use the same thing all the time. Be aware of who you're sending your email to. That's my first tip. Yours number two, James? Well, this would be to make use of tools to get rid of the email that you don't need to see. I have a number of, of email accounts, some of them to do with clients on my own business account, or I have personal account and for the projects. And I get, probably if I saw it, I would be shocked at the amount of junk or useless mail that I get. Some of it just spam, but some of it things which it, it's often called bacon in the tech community, but the idea that it's things which are somewhat useful, but they're not things that I need to know now. At the really simple level, you can just use simple folders or you can have a separate account that you use to sign up for things. So if you're signing up for newsletters, maybe use a separate account for that or set up filters within your email. Or what I've been doing now for the past probably 18 months or so is using a tool called SaneBox, which does this automatically for me. So I get lots and lots of speculative email from recruiters say, well, are you interested in this role? Do you know someone who might be useful for this or whatever? It's stuff I want to deal with, but I don't need that in the same place as the emails from my client or from actual paying worker from family members or, or what have you. I use Sainbox, which is a paid service. You can do this yourself with most email services just using filters, but it makes it really easy. I drag that first email across to my recruiter's box, and then every time they send me an email from then on, 
boom, it goes straight into that recruiter's box. And once a week or so, I'll go through that list and process it. You know, use the tools that you have available to you. Use the VIP settings, use the spam filters, things like that to cut down on all the junk. No, I think it's a great idea. I use filters all the time, set up rules for my email, and and uh, I have and exactly that. I have an account which I sign up for anything that I have to sign up for, and I know that they're going to send me stuff, and I get to that eventually at some point. So my second tip is kind of a combination of two, almost something you mentioned earlier. One is about the use of reply all. Oh, um, my favourite thing is I send a group email out to people, and someone will send me an email, especially if you're dealing with an availability or trying to set up a group meeting or something like that. They just hit reply and not reply all. Yep. So then you have to bring them back into the conversation. Check who the email that was sent to and what the grouping was and mm-hmm. have that presence of forethought to make sure you're hitting reply or reply all as correctly as possible. And as a sidebar to that is the great thing of changing emails subject headers you know follow on emails so you sent an email about project a and you've sent three or four emails about project a and then the last email on project a you've mentioned project b that also drives me to distract because then i have to go back through different emails accounts to try and find the correct email for that project at some point in the future when i need to reference it if you're setting up a different project or you're talking about a different subject start a different email and then continue on that email chain. Burying a question about a another project in an email about a first project is... Yeah, it's just a recipe for confusion. Yes, search is, is brilliant and you can do that. But it just makes life so much easier if you keep yourself delineated quite nicely. I think that's great. And your last one? My last one then is, it's referencing something that gets talked about a lot, but is often misunderstood, which is the idea of Inbox Zero. So this was done by Merlin Mann, who's a fantastic online writer, but he did for quite a while talk about personal productivity. And he put forward this idea of Inbox Zero. And it builds on work that David Allen did. The idea is you should try and get your inbox down to zero all the time. You know, at least multiple times a day. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean dealing and responding to every single email, but it means think of your email inbox like your answer phone messaging light or your text message notification. Put that that email in a place where it's going to be most useful, not in your inbox. I mean, if I look at my inbox now, I have two emails, which I haven't done anything with. They've come in while we've been recording. Because every time I go to my inbox, which is maybe every hour or so, every couple of hours, I will filter through, okay, this goes to junk, this goes to be dealt with later, this goes to reference material, and this one I'll deal with now. And every time I go to my email, if there's something in there, it's new, I deal with it. If there's not something in there, I don't need to look at it because everything else is in the right place. That's my hint. Try and get to the habit of everything in your inbox filtered to the appropriate place at least say twice a day. I do it twice a day. I do it in the morning and at the end of the day. That's all I do because otherwise I just don't get any other work done. As you say, I filter it all. I have a what I call an action email folder, which goes into my, this is stuff I need to deal with, but I actually need time to think about. I try and clear the email at the end of each day so there's nothing in my inbox, but everything is either been dealt with that's urgent or it's filed in the right appropriate place. My final tip, we've discussed it a lot and I mentioned it right at the beginning, is email is a formal document, effectively. It is a legally binding thing. If you write something on email, 
you are putting it down on a technically electronic paper and therefore it is legitimate. Well, not just that, you're putting it on a copy that anybody involved with that email chain then has. Exactly. And it can be forwarded, it can be used. We tend to write things down without thought these days because we are a little callous with our thoughts and our emails. So I think think about what you're writing. If you are saying something negative about someone or you're saying something that could be misconstrued or difficult, think about what you're writing. Always think about what you're writing. It takes one click and that email is forwarded to someone else. One sneaky trick I'll put in the back end. If you're struggling to put across the message you know, and you're writing something and you're worried the person will think of it in a different way, one of the things I do quite often is send that email to myself before I send it to them. So I send it to myself, give it now, come back to it and read it cold. And that gives me the distance to be able to say, you know, if I'm coming to this fresh, how would I perceive that? Would it be useful? Would it be insulting? Would I get um, confused by it and go from there? Absolutely. Well, I hope we've uh, given you some information and some top tips. Uh, What are your top tips on climbing the ladder and business email etiquette? Do you agree with me? Or do you talk about James? Any points you want to take up? Drop us an email at enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or contact us on any of our social media channels instagram facebook twitter and even snapchat oh my gosh we're going all all crazy now which is the p gentlemen it's the p gentlemen i look forward to hearing your thoughts and tips on when we get to our productivity special we'll deal with that so uh, um it's the second part of our interview with the fabulous ray gelato excellent he'll be answering our 10 gentlemanly questions so uh, over to you ray What keeps me sane is to watch DVDs when I'm away. <laughs> okay, that leads me nicely onto what's, what, what, what are you watching? What's your, what's your, what's your, what's your, what's your TV or film choices? My, my uh, film choices are, I've just finished, well, I've just through Game of Thrones, which I find is very, uh, my mother got me into that, actually. I, I, I'm not keen on these kind of things, that Game of Thrones, but when I started watching, I thought it's very, very good. I love Mad Men. Absolutely love it. I'm re-watching Series 5 again, and I absolutely love it. And Breaking Bad, I think, is the best one of the best things ever made. It's incredible. <laughs> it's just incredible. But Mad Men, I love it. And I think they've got that period so well down. They know? have, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. The start, let alone the, 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 the intrigue, the style. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And the intri- I love the intrigue as well. And the funny thing is, this series is not that successful in relation to other series I read. That The viewing figures are not amazing. And I find that hard to believe. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Maybe people are getting a bit fed up with the style. But there we go. You know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm never fed up with the style. No, um, no. You've been married a reasonably long time, sir. Yeah. Uh, what's the success to a, a long, a long-term relationship? Uh, give her money. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, you know what? Be be- we were talking about this the other day. Be best friends. It's very, very simple. If you can somehow be best, we met as best friends, and we've remained best friends through ups and downs of whatever happens in people's lives. And I think that's the key. It really is the key. Be best friends, have a lot in common. We don't get out much now because of the two children. You'll have two very young children, a little girl of five and a boy of eight. But um, we went out the other day, on a, uh, uh, we went to Notting Hill. We didn't go to a multiplex. We decided to go to a lovely old cinema, The Gates, which has got the old ornamentation. Mm. I'd rather watch a movie on a small screen than go to uh, you a and multiplex. Me both. And my wife, Rebecca, loves that too. So we sat there and watched Behind the Candelabra with Michael Douglas had a Spanish meal and had the best time we could have because we've, we've remained best friends after 17 years of being together. That's great. That's fabulous. And I think that's very true. I think it is, it is you know, I, I, relationships, whether that's uh, um, 
you know, romance specifically, as we're talking about here, or, or mm. just, just friends. It is about having the common ground and having that, that yeah. best friends relationship. I yeah. mean, you know, we, we met through, through our, pa- mm. our shared passion of cigars, but, you know, we, we've remained friends and, and stuff like that. And you, you have that group of people that you always speak to and always deal yes. with and, and deal with in a certain mm. way. But in, and especially in a romantic relationship, it's about nurturing that friendship. I think so, because you can be, but, but saying we're best friends doesn't mean we're not romantic, but, and also you have to work on these things as well. You know, it, it's a natural tendency when you've with someone a long time, not to be so romantic, but do a little thing like sending flowers or a surprise or whatever. Then I think it's, uh, it keeps everything going, you know. So that the Italian romantic in you. <laughs> <laughs> Italian romantic, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what are you reading at the moment? Um, in fact, I'm reading uh, 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 Behind the Candelabra because <laughs> I saw the movie and I've got the, uh, I thought I'd buy the book because I'm very interested in people's lives, you know, and especially people in the entertainment business, how they uh, dealt with things or whatever. And um, I find that story of, uh, of Liberace quite fascinating, you know, especially the way he was so terrified that the fact he was gay was going to come out, which, which now nobody would care less. And it's quite a tragic story in a way. You Do know? you think that nobody would care less? Because there's still a lot of stigma to coming out. I just think today they wouldn't. Not, not, not the, with the, uh, uh, the fear that he, he, he had, because this guy cut his teeth, I guess, in the 40s and 50s. And then I think it was, uh, you know, much more of a stigma. I mean, maybe some people would now, but I think at a general level, no. You know? I don't think so, not, 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 not so much. And then what was the last one I read before that was, um, you know, I've got a pile of books on my bed and you've got me on this one. <laughs> but it was, oh, Danny Baker's autobiography. Absolutely loved it. it completely uh, going on about London and East London, whatever. It was a mar- marvellous book. Yeah, Danny Baker's a, a very, another, another good Londoner. Yeah, yeah. Another, another rare Londoner. Great Londoner, yeah. A great Londoner. Very, yeah, no, very interesting. I, I, I must pick that up. Yeah, it's well worth it. it. Well worth the read. And what's a, what's a book that's influenced you? Um, probably, in all honesty, uh, the biographies or autobiographies of, of people that I, like, that I like because or, or I admire because you can see their their sort of struggles, you know, especially in my industry. Um, I've read books on, on Sinatra, on Mel, great, very, very good autobiography, Sammy Davis Jr., that talks about his struggles with race, of being in the army and being accepted and whatever, and that was, uh, they influenced me quite a lot, these, these, these sort of books, you know. Do you have a hero growing up, apart from your grandfather? Uh, let me think. Not really, Pro- probably the kind of heroes that we had in the, as kids in the 70s. I'd, I'd say Muhammad Ali was a pretty much of a hero to all of us when we were in the 70s because he was a real, uh, well, he was a hero to us all, you know. We, we'd always sit there hoping he'd win the fights, you know, against Fraser and... What made him a hero to you? Uh, I think his natural talent and the way he put himself across. And he stood up for what he believed in, you know. Right or wrongly, he stood up for what he believed in, which I think was very, very important. Yeah, it is very important. It is very important. I think, I think people don't do that as often as they, as they should no. do nowadays. Absolutely not, and that's why I think we probably didn't know why then, but that's why we admire, admired him, you know. And he was funny. He didn't take everything, didn't take himself too seriously, which was, which was great. It was a personality in that world, which was great. Yeah, I, now with everything being about personality, do you think mm. that's gone the other way? And now it's kind of like everyone's there to, to, to you know, wants the witty one-liner or the standout yeah. thing. Do you think that there's, you know, we... You're a very stylish gentleman, and, and, and it's kind of and you're very consistent with mm. your your brand and the way you come across. 
uh, and I, I, I don't see you sort of making a, a, a cheap jibes or, or you know you and that to I'm get good you. for a cheap jibe sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> No, not, not really. You know, I'm trying to be myself. And uh, I think you've got so many people, especially in the media, that seem to have a, vene a veneer on there, you know, which, which could be a little bit annoying. And I don't find their, their, jib their jibes particularly funny. That's probably just me. But uh, whereas I think someone like Ali, he was just a, I don't know, just a crazy sort of guy for his time, you know, and a great, a great fighter too. He could, what, what, in other words, he could back up the humour with his talent and his gift, his skill, and I find that some people can't do that, and then it becomes a little bit flat. Yeah, yeah that's true. I think it's, it, 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 it's interesting, isn't it, that um, we, we sort of now, there's, there's that superficiality that we sort of expect mm. from people, you know, all that, that yeah. is driven by the media, and, and, but realistically, it's, it's, it, it should be backed up by something. Yeah. We admire those that back mm. it up. But the trouble is, what you're saying in times now with the celebrity culture or whatever, and magazines that are celebrating these, these, a lot of these people out there, so many of them have done, uh, haven't done anything at all. So I find that quite, quite weird. Why they're celebrities? It's bizarre. Can't understand that one. And yet we've all bought it. Well, we haven't, but a lot of people buy into this kind of thing, you know. And they behave coarsely sometimes <laughs> well, yeah, I find a little bit weird you know it's very true it's it's it's, it's yeah. the it's not the no, it's not the way you wish to wish your idols and your heroes to behave really. you wouldn't expect that of, no. well you certainly wouldn't expect to be seen doing that no. I mean, they may have done it but we didn't you didn't well, Sinatra was a hooligan in his <laughs> <laughs> he was an exception well he, he was he used to beat cameramen up and things so I guess he used to dress like a gentleman but probably underneath a side of him wasn't. I guess a side of him was, but a side of him wasn't. Do you think that we, you know, we are di that paradoxical, that dichotomy, that, that, that we, ha we do live in that world where, you know, there's a side of us which is the external side and which is different to the internal side? Or do you think that, that and it's a strive to ma marry those two up? Or do yeah, you think I think we've all got that up to a point. But we've always, in anything, like anything, any, any art or craft or business or whatever, uh, to be a better person, a better human being, to work at that as well. I think so. And the older I get, I more re re realise that, you know. So what inspires you? Uh, music still inspires me. Good people, nice people that I have a lot in common with inspire me a lot. Um, people that work hard at something and become good at it. I think that's really important. So I try to teach my kids as well. It's, it's no easy way. There's no easy way of X-factor and getting there and, uh, and uh, you know, because you won't be happy if you do that, you know. You'll be happy if you, I think you put the work in and, you know, develop a craft somehow. Yeah, I, I, weirdly I was talking about that with someone uh, just a bit earlier and we were saying that it's that, that people have sort of sold the, mm. the overnight success or the, you know, uh, he left, left this job and earned a million pounds or mm. he hit, you know, he walked on stage and, and became, you know, one, a, a talent show. Yes. And, yeah. and that, uh, for me, that kind of, I, it feels so wrong because, you know, I, it is about the hard graft. It is it about is. the 80 hours a week. Yeah. You might eventually get to not working mm. 80 hours a week, but it's having that 80 hours a yeah. week hard graft as your, as your baseline. And people, you know, as we were talking about earlier, that, that celebrity and that, that culture of today mm. is like, oh, no, we'll have it easy. We want it easy. But the trouble is it doesn't last. That's the problem, and if you look at, you know, we don't want to get too much into X Factor and these things, but if you look at the people that have won these talent contests, they're very unfortunate because only a tiny proportion have lasted. In a year, they're doing panto. In another year, they're maybe appearing on a reality, terrible reality show, 
and they, they, they don't have a, most of these people, even if they, they look huge, they're huge at the time, don't have a long career. You can only develop a long career, I think, by developing a fan base that's going to remain loyal, loyal to you, uh, which is not easy. It's easier said than done in the, in the, today, you know. But, uh, but you want that consistency. I mean, I, we, we, I, a, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours who's a musician, we were talking the other day, and we were saying that, you know, you really, you, you need only a few thousand very loyal fr- fans mm. who will support you, who will buy your records, who yeah. will buy your, go to your concerts, who will sort of engage with you. Mm. And then you have a career and then you have a, a yeah. survival point. You've um, got to build that though, you see. Mm. That's what you have to build. And a, a lot of these poor kids don't, don't, they don't know that. They're not capable of doing that because they, they're young. I, I think they should have on, before people go on X Factor, they should have a government health warning in the way of having a picture of Whitney Houston, of Michael Jackson, of uh, Amy Winehouse up there and say, just be careful what you really want. Because look at these, they were so successful. And they, it's not something that the human condition can really deal with, I don't think, this huge level of that. So people who want it don't often, uh, when they get it, <laughs> they're not happy either. Oh, there's loads of examples of that, isn't there? So I mean, there's loads of examples of that, that, that sort of not being able to deal with mm the fame, the celebrity, yeah. the, the things that come along with it. I mean, That's right, and I, I think a lot of that is when you uh, relinquish control of your own business. You have to have, so look at someone like Jagger, he controls every aspect of it and micromanages it, and he's still here, still doing tours. Whereas I believe, I don't know if I, I might not be right, but uh, Whitney Houston, whatever, they're surrounded by so many yes, yes men. Yes, that's okay, uh, you can spend this money, Michael Jackson, whatever. The guy ends up broke, and I think, Maybe if these people somehow had, had learned to control their own, or had a little bit more control of their own business, might not happen. Or had someone there going, yeah, someone that, someone a best phone. friend to sit there and go, a best friend there to sit go. there and go, yeah. no, don't do yeah. that. You wonder what's going on, don't you? Why, why no one ever said things like that? And I think that was real tragedy of, this, of of my business, you know. I think it's very true. I think it's it's an interesting factor that that doesn't happen. You know, you get these people and you, they they you know have issues and they'll become and of course with today's world mm. it's very public you don't get to hide your your no, issues and problems well, well that's right um uh, you know and then it's a, it's a self-fulfilling mm. prophecy it spirals out but i think it's very interesting because i i'm a big exponent of, of brand and mm. you as a brand and you living your brand yeah. values and being your brand and controlling your brand mm. um and whether that's you as a person and you and i are both in that that world where yeah. you and i control our own image mm. quite tightly in the sense of you know we it's not something we're not but it's still we're in control of it we yes. don't want to be you know you know it is up in our very nature you're not going to see us stumble out of a nightclub at three o'clock in the morning mm. and misbehave but you know but that's because who we are as mm. well as our, our brand control yeah. and i think that's kind of that level of uh uh culture where we kind of go, oh, we can put it on Facebook and it's not going to worry. Yeah, this is the whole thing, you see. And I think that, the, you know, this is the perfect gentleman thing we're talking about. And I think a few more self-aware moments with people would, uh, would be quite a good thing. But uh, they need to be taught that by their parents or at school or somewhere else. And uh, a little bit more, di- act with a little bit more dignity, that's all. I mean, you've got kids and, yeah. and, 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 and obviously you teach them as parents. I try, yeah. But do you find that the, the school system and the education system doesn't, the, and the world outside doesn't? You battle that yeah, as a parent? Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, in my opinion, I think, I, maybe I'm, not, I, I'm incorrect, but I think that parents now have it harder in a way because I don't think that the, quite the morals and the discipline 
are being taught in schools the way they should. It just needs to be a little bit firmer, that's all. A little bit firmer. I think a little bit firmer, and I think the, school, the schools aren't as firm as they should be. Well, certainly not the majority of schools. It's a little bit more wishy-washy, and I think, you know, I'm not saying bring back the lash or anything like that. <laughs> any means, but you need boundaries. Kids need boundaries. So we're constantly trying to enforce the boundaries on the children because maybe they're not getting it so much at, at school, you know. I mean, there was a, because Perfect Gentleman hat on, you kind of go, there's a, a, you know, it was just fascinating that it made the news that a school was teaching etiquette and manners. And you kind of go, why isn't it yeah. a regular part of everyday life? Why isn't it, yeah, it, 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 exactly. At school. But perhaps parents don't teach that as well, you see, but, that's, but the school should, it, that's, if the parents aren't doing it, the school needs to do it. And I think that would be manners and awareness class. What's wrong with that? A minister for manners, perhaps. What's wrong with that? Have a class, <laughs> an hour a week or something, and it sticks with children. It sticks with children. I mean, I even look at my kids in school uniform, and sometimes my little boy's got the toothpaste, and I, but I'll always get the cloth or the wipe. And, Come on, go to school looking smart. Go to school looking like a, a scruff, and it, hopefully it will stick in a little bit. Well, it probably will. At that age, that <laughs> yeah. it will stick in, and, and we'll have the Mr. Mini Gelato <laughs> in, in, in 20 years' time, looking as dapper as you do, sir, and, and playing, <laughs> playing us a saxophone and, and, and ruling the world. Well, he's doing well on piano, which makes me very happy. Both of them are doing very well. They're quite musical little children. Which they've, is got, they've got your musical gene, have they? Uh, uh, maybe better. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important get them away from computer games and, and, uh, and in, internet things because they're very addictive, these things. And get them to play, if you can, a musical instrument, it's fantastic. Wonderful to encourage children with music. I think it's a great alternative to what's going on now, you know. So, what's next for Ray? Uh, next is a big tour in, uh, uh, I'm away July and August. I'm going to Manhattan, Lincoln Center, with a 17-piece orchestra, which is a real thrill for me. That's amazing. And then we got a Chicago, then a date in Philadelphia, so we got a, um, four dates out there, which is nice, uh, including the New York. Then uh, Spain, five days at the Vittoria Jazz Festival in the same place, which for me is heaven, so I haven't got to travel. <laughs> and I can eat, eat tapas all day and smoke a few cigars <laughs> and have some Spanish sherry. Then. Uh, uh, August, uh, I think I was telling you earlier, we're doing a Lugano, Lugano Jazz, Fest, Jazz and Blues Festival. Uh, Croatia, uh, sorry, not Croatia, excuse me, Serbia, uh, Bulgaria, four nights, four days in Italy, doing a wonderful festival, Senegalia, which is a huge 50s retro festival by the beach where people come from all over the world to be part of it. So I, I can't wait for that. It's going to be marvellous. That's awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. So we've got a very busy, very, very good summer. Nothing really in England, in London in the summer, but it's all, all away. All away. And, and a new album, you were saying, you know, New, new Orleans yeah. album. When, when are we going to see that? The I'm New gonna... Orleans album will be ready next year. Uh, I'd like to get some guests on that. I've already got a, um, Lou Marini, the guy in the Blues Brothers, Blue Lou Marini, the sax player, lined oh. up to do a couple of tracks. Oh, amazing. And possibly join us on a tour next year. Uh, he's one of the busiest New York session guys, and he's a very sweet man. And uh, so the New Orleans album, I'm trying to write more songs. I'd like to try to make it 50 originals and half, half the covers that people know a little bit more. Uh, I've already written two for it, so I'm... Kind of getting there. Ah, you know? you're writing, writing again. Yeah, I wrote one called "Get Off the Phone," which is the anti telling people to just pack up the mobiles for a little while. You know? <laughs> and that went down very, very well. When we did it at Ronnie Scott's. Everyone sort of related to it. You know? Well, it's true, isn't it? I, mobile phone etiquette. We, it drives me nuts. I've had a phone for a long period of time. Yeah. And and I've I've got to the point now where I, I forget. I actually put it away now, and I yeah. don't. I'll get 
I'll get around to answering your call. Yeah. Back like the, back the old days when you had a lying yeah. phone. I You're so right. And you know, that is so hard to do, isn't it? Because it becomes, we almost become addicted to want to check it all the time. And you know, leave the bloody thing for a while. And yeah, get, the world's not going to stop, is it? You know? No, the world's not going to stop. And I think everyone forgets that. You know, you go away on holiday yeah. for two weeks and come back and the world's just the same. Yeah. Tell you me know? about it now. Holidays, you want to check the emails. And don't do it. <laughs> Put it away. Lock the phone in the yeah. safe. I'm not done. The song's the about that, actually. And it's about people doing it on uh, 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 walking and you're bumping into them. And it's about people doing it in restaurants and in theatre. And it's got a, a, we, we premiered at Ronnie's and every night people absolutely loved it. So I thought, yeah, I've got, I've got a winner here. You've got a winner. I'm waiting for that. that yeah. that'll, be your, that'll be your number one hit. Get off be. the phone, yeah. <laughs> get off the phone. Simply get off the phone. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. Thank you. So we're going to end uh, the Gentleman Talks, as we always do, with our ten gentlemanly questions based on the Bernard Pivot set. Um, so, Ray. What embodies a gentleman for you? Uh, manners. Manners and awareness of other people. What is the most romantic thing you've ever done? Danced under the Eiffel Tower with my wife. Oh, I love that. If you could bring one gentlemanly trait into business, what would it be? Getting back to emails and calls. What element of grooming is most important for you? Haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Name an iconic gentleman. My grandfather. <laughs> What's the most important item in your wardrobe? Uh, my suits. Why should there be more gentlemen in the world? Uh, well, for, I think for the reasons I, I, I said at the beginning of the, 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 the interview, that the world would go round and be a much nicer place. We should treat each other with a lot more respect. What key skill should every young gentleman be taught? How to dress properly. What should a gentleman never be without? Uh, <laughs> His cigar. <laughs> and finally, finish this sentence. A gentleman should always. Uh, be a decent human being. Excellent. Ray Gelato, thank you so much <laughs> Thanks, for your time. It has been thank a great you. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And pleasure's mine. Thank you. Our partners, Hawes and Curtis, are a British brand with more than 100 years of heritage and tailoring. In 1913, Ralph Hawes and George Frederick Curtis opened their first store in London's Piccadilly Arcade at the corner of German Street, renowned for its resident shirt makers. From the beginning, Hawes and Curtis attracted famous clientele, including the Duke of Windsor, Cary Grant and Fred Astaire, dapper gentlemen all. As a result of Hawes and Curtis's commitment to impeccable service and product excellence, the brand has been awarded four royal warrants. Today, Hawes and Curtis offers extensive menswear and womenswear collections, providing customers with complete looks for a whole variety of occasions. Please head over to their website, www.hawesandcurtis.co.uk. Okay, thanks for that, Ray. Um, another great interview. Really interesting. And um, I'm going to go and listen to some of his music later, I think. Oh, no, it's great. Uh, he's got this new album out with Claire Martin, which is fantastic. I went to the album launch uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was great. He's such a great entertainer. He's such a great artist. He's a fabulous guy. 
So it's uh, wrapping up today, and it's kind of our final thoughts, really. Mm. Our from the desk of, as it were. Excellent. My from the desk of is I'm, I'm thinking of summer. Now, we mentioned at the top of the podcast, the summer is, is here and it's on its way, and sun will be shining somewhere on you some point this year. Summer is a great time. It's a time when everyone starts to smile more and be happier, and the sun has this great effect on people. It makes people so much more alive and invigorated and happy. But I kind of think we always need to be in that state of summer. We forget that we can control our emotions. We can control the way we feel about things. Uh, I was watching one of the great classic movies the other day, which is Singing in the Rain. Oh, I love it. With the wonderful Gene Kelly. That song says it all. Can be in a thunderstorm and be happy. The way that the weather and the situation out there affects you to a part is there, but also you can control that feeling. You can control the way you feel. It could be summer in your heart at any point in time. And I think we need, as gentlemen, to control the way we feel, but also be able to express the way we feel. We need to express that joy, that happiness in life, and talk to people. It was brought home to me quite recently that we as men are very bad at communicating, and especially about how we feel and how we are and our mental state. And I think what we need to do as guys is embrace the ability that we have to control our emotions, but also if we're not doing well and summer is not with us, we need to be able to talk to people about how we feel. Mm -hmm. So a little deep and meaningful. Um, I was tricking you with the summer theme, but there we go. That's kind of my thoughts. I think, I think that's great. We need A, control our emotions, but B, also be able to express them. Yes. Excellently put, Zach. Thank you very much indeed, sir. Anyway, gosh, um, we've been chatting for far too long for this episode. We're getting more and more talkative, you know that. Funnily enough, some of the podcasts I enjoy, some of the ones I like to listen to, they always say, right, we're going to keep this to an hour. And you hear them say that, and you look at the little end of the bar, and it's like two hours, 16 minutes. And it's like, yeah, good going, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Done an hour and a half, I think, is our longest podcast. So we'll, we'll, try and, we'll try and not do the two and a half hour ones. Though we probably could at some point the future if people would pay attention for that long i'm sure we'd manage it <laughs> all right well thank you very much everyone for listening um i am zach forkard of barfield yeah and james marwood thank you very much for listening guys and zach lovely to talk to you as always my pleasure and look forward to speaking to you next week yeah sorry i'm a bit contrarian about the email thing I think you and I are quite similar i would probably like to be where you are with it but the nature of my job doesn't really allow that quite as much as i'd like but, you know, one of the things that I spend a long time with, especially when I've worked with managers talking about, I can't get things done or I'm really busy. And you say, OK, well, well, show me your work. And the thing they show me is their inbox. And they've got like 3,000 messages in there. Of course, it's, you're not getting anything done because you're just spending all day managing this huge pile of crap. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I've turned all my notifications off of my phone. I get the key ones. I have phones and texts and, the, and I use the message service WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, it's kind of my primary messaging mm -hmm. um, if one, people want to get hold of me on my phone. But all my emails off. You know, if I want to look at my email, I'll look at my email. I don't want to be dictated to by the buzzer and the food. If you look at Merlin's Inbox Zero writing mm. and it's talking you know, back to 2010, 2011, one of the things he talks about is, you know, when you give your email address out, you're giving them and anybody they talk to the ability to interrupt you at any point from that point forward hmm. that is 
crazy pants. You, know, oh, yeah. you, you, you can't work like that. So you need to you need to take control of it. Uh, Brian Tracy is another great productivity guy. He always says, you know, eat the frog first. Email is a huge distraction. So get up in the morning, do whatever you need to do to get your your day started, whatever your routine is in the morning, and then tackle a big project first. Mm-hmm. Don't look at the email until after that. Yeah. You know, schedule an hour and a half or an hour or whatever time you have to do your project first. Mm-hmm. Get your teeth into that before you start looking at email and being distracted by other people's wants and needs. That's very smart. I'm a big exponent of that, and, and, and it has changed the way I've worked completely in the last six months. You know, it's about setting expectations. Hmm, absolutely. With some of my clients, I can't, I can't realistically set that expectation, especially the likes when I'm working with the banks or the NHS organisations hmm. which run on email. For those clients, they need to be able to interrupt me. In this, which case they get added to my VIP list while they're active clients and that pings up on my phone or on my, on, on my inbox. But if it's something that isn't, I don't want to know about it. I don't, you know, unless I absolutely have to know right now, I'll get to it in my own sweet time. Well, I had an incident a couple of weeks ago where uh, uh, I arranged to have a, a lunch with someone, as I would arrange mm-hmm. the week before. And I got to the venue and they called me when I was at the venue about 10 minutes before the lunch. They said, oh, um, I'm sorry, I can't make it. Did you not get my email? I said, no, I didn't because I didn't look at my email this morning because I was busy. And um, yes, and I did my work and came here as we scheduled to do. He's like, oh, I can't make it. And I'm like, well, if you read my email signature, it says I don't check my email. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if it's urgent, call me. How frustrating. Yeah, well, but, but it's that kind of thing. Anyway. Yes, indeed. Anyway. Indeed. So episode 17 next? It is. Well, I look forward to speaking to you then. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.